Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm Ken Hellenius, sitting in the virtual studio in South Bend, Indiana, and across from me in Portland, Oregon, at the studios of Modern Day Radio, is my friend, my deacon, the man who actually lost the map during the Exodus, Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, deacon. <laughs> I lost the map. I guess no GPS back in the day, man. So <laughs> Not the GPS, exactly. 40 years. No, that's good. So that explains the 40 years that should have took them a, a week <laughs> to cross the that's 40 right, years. That's right. The guys kept asking for directions. That They wouldn't ask for directions. That was the problem. <laughs> that's you know, the they problem. They blame me. See, but- this is... Human pride every time, right? <laughs> Male pride, really, at its core, right? Have you ever uh, done any of these long road trips? Not for 40 years, no. <laughs> <laughs> Except for my journey nice. with the Lord, you know, my life's journey oh, with nice, the Lord. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, it's been more, more no, than 40 years. I've got to imagine, though. You've driven coast to coast, probably, right? Yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. Um, I've taken the train across country. You know, I'm a big rail fan. And so sure. uh, before I joined the monastery um, in my early 20s, I, I took a train trip across the country and back. Um, oh, wow. And I've driven, across, let me see, I've driven across, I don't think I've driven back, but I've uh, moving out from, from New Jersey to the West Coast, you know, I drove across the country. But I don't think I've ever driven fully the other, from, you know, from the West Coast back to the East Coast. Obviously, wow. and I've flown a bunch of times back, back and forth between uh, both right. coasts, but yeah. <laughs> Are you a million miler at this point on your on your flights? Yes, I I hit million miler sta- status back in uh, 2017. That's it's crazy. A, that's a long way. I yeah, know it's crazy, <laughs> uh, and that's in six years. Yeah, six years. A million miles in six years. Yeah, nuts. Maybe I should uh, change your intro. The man about whom the movie Up in the Air was made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it no, feels like good. that sometimes. You know, that's for sure. Well, always in service of the gospel. Hey, man, how are things going there? Things are well, yeah. Things are going well, I should say. Um, we have a number of students. So, you know, I work at the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture, and we have a wonderful student formation program called our Soren Fellows Program. It's named after Father Soren, who founded the uh, University of Notre Dame in 1842. And um, the Soren Fellows Program really gets students involved in the life of the of the center. So the Center for Ethics and Culture, we, we talk about, we um, promote the richness of the Catholic moral and intellectual tradition uh, across the disciplines. So we have about, last year we had 280, and we're approaching that again this year, um, student fellows at both the undergraduate and the graduate level that uh, we get involved in our, our center's life. So we have special events for them when we bring speakers to campus, we get them, we send them off on internships and research opportunities and formation opportunities. We've taken a bunch of them to Rome for a pilgrimage uh, during the Synod uh, this this past month. And so it's been really, really uh, delightful to see that program blossom because when I first came to the University of Notre Dame in 2016, uh, there were about 
I think it was about 35 or 40 Soren Fellows. So the program has expanded tremendously, and it's just delightful to see. And they represent every, pretty much all of the majors on campus and almost all of the residence halls on campus. We have Soren Fellows from representing all of these. So it's really neat to see the whole life of the university involved in figuring out how to integrate their faith and their academic life and their intellectual life all together. And that's really, uh, uh, it's one of the highlights of my of my job. That's great. And being able to impact young people, you know, who are the, who are the thinkers, you know, the, mm-hmm. these are the ones that are going to be uh, going into the world and they're going to be the, the next uh, politicians, they're going to be the, the physicians and they're going to be the educators and the attorneys and, you know, impacting and, and, and making policy and, and all these kinds of things, you know, so it's or and, and or you can be husbands and wives, you know, building strong families. So, yeah, so I think the, the more that this kind of work can be done, I think the better it's going to be for, for all of us and for, for our country, for our world. Blessed Basil Moreau, who founded the Congregation of Holy Cross, which runs Notre Dame, which runs the University of Portland, as well as a number of other uh, colleges and universities in the United States. I mean, he talked about educating citizens of heaven. You know, and uh, educating students so that they make prayers of their educations, you know, um, and that's really uh, at the core of kind of the mission of what what I'm so delighted to be paid to do. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a great job and it's a, it's been a wonderful um, start to the year. And I'll tell you, one of the most joyful things was at the opening football game of the year versus Michigan. All of the students and pretty much most of the stadium was all dressed in green. And a number of our students were wearing our Center for Ethics and Culture T-shirts, which are also green. And we saw them on the big Jumbotron and we saw them on the, the television wearing their Ethics and Culture shirts. Uh, there's nothing more joyful than seeing a T-shirt you've, uh, you've, you've given away uh, uh, up here on television. It's a lot of That's fun. That's awesome. Do you have m- many international students that are part of the fellows? You know, we do, especially among the graduate students. Okay. So we have uh, so we have both graduate and undergraduate fellows, and um, we have a number of the graduate students that are like uh, in the law school working on their master's in law, um, one from Bermuda. We have, uh, we also sponsor a number of visiting uh, fellows who come from other countries to do research, like in the Jacques Maritain Library, which is part of the, uh, the Center for Ethics and Culture. Uh, and so, yeah, we have a, we have a, relatively strong international presence, uh, at the center. Um, and especially we have a lot of, uh, uh, scholars and professors that we work with in Italy and with France in France and, uh, and, and in Latin America and South America, especially in a lot of our pro-life activities too. So it's, it's very international, um, kind of presence and, and work. So it's pretty, pretty rewarding that way. Oh, good. I, I ask that because, you know, just like the document we've been talking about, uh, Humane Vitae by Pope Paul VI, you know, taking what they're learning and going back to their countries, and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being that, that witness of the gospel. Um, you know, we talked about last time putting the intellectual and the, and the practical together, which is the section of the document that we're going through uh, right now in Humane Vitae, um, where Paul VI is taking uh, these pastoral directives where he kind of takes uh, the teachings of Humanae Vitae and, and is speaking to different uh, people within a different context of their of their vocations and, and their lived experience to make it come alive and, and giving some practical ways of how this could be implemented. So I, I see that as the same thing, taking what they're learning from their the Notre Dame Center for uh, Ethics and Culture and bringing it back to their countries. And, and, and again, uh, bringing that the Holy Spirit 
alive in those teachings and things that they're learning and, and really making an impact in their, in their culture and in their sphere of influence back in their, in the, uh, their respective home countries. It reminds me, actually, of one of the neatest programs that we do at the center is called the Soren Supper Club. And what this is, is where groups of students, so five or six students, will go to the home of a professor uh, or a staff person and have family dinner with them. And that's where you actually see the lived experience of, you know, intellectual life. But now this is live intellectual faith life lived in the context of family life and how those things come together and how, um, you know, you're not just, you don't um, compartmentalize your faith. You don't compartmentalize your academic work, your, your day job. It's, it's part of who you are as a person. And this is what, you know, kind of this holistic approach with which is, um, you know, it even got mentioned earlier, kind of a, a similar idea got mentioned earlier in in this particular document, Humanae Vitae, uh, right at the end of, of um, se- uh, paragraph 17, uh, the Holy Father quoted Pope Pius Twelfth when he, he talked about a principle of totality, the holistic nature, in that case, of sexuality, which is both sexuality is both unitive and procreative. Well, this principle of totality is not just about our sexuality, but it's also about our faith life and our intellectual life and our, our labor. All of this works together because it all serves the creator. It all serves our faith uh, is, is um, entirely uh, holistically part of our lives. And that's uh, kind of one of the neat things that uh, that we talk about in human formation is not just intellectual. It's also, again, family life too. Exactly. And we were talking about this with regard to um, uh, Pope Paul VI, Dr. Hinae Vitae. Um, we talked uh, a little bit last time about um, the value of self-discipline and self-control. And the, the next section he addresses the promotion of chastity and chastity education. You know, and uh, obviously you, you, it's a natural connection between natural family planning and chastity education where he's, he's encouraging people in the, uh, uh, the in fact, it's, it's a right and duty to provide for the common good of all human society by providing um, education and chastity. Uh, and I and, and that caused me to think about the controversies that have been happening over the last number of years when it comes to uh, education in the schools, um, when it comes to sexual education in the schools, you know, this kind of battle between, you know, um, uh, chastity or abstinence education in the schools versus, you know, just schools kind of just throwing condoms at kids and just saying, don't don't get pregnant or whatever. You know, what I mean, or, or, yeah. or even worse. Planned Parenthood taking over or the schools contracting with Planned Parenthood to take over uh, sexual education in the schools, which is uh, (laughs) which they're basically promoting promiscuous lifestyles, which goes against everything that the Pope has been saying. Again, I want to be clear, the Catholic Church is not forcing its position on people. We're proposing we're not imposing. We're proposing an alternative and better uh, way of teaching this beautiful truth. You know, so that it has the effect on the common good, the good of everyone, not just for the good or satisfaction of particular individuals and their wants and their needs and their desires. So, you know, what's best for all of us that we can continue to see God in each other as we move forward. Right. It's this idea that it's not true because the Pope says it, but the Pope says it because it's true. 
And that's the vital kind of distinction here. And and here in paragraph 22, the Holy Father says, look, that governments and teachers and families, you know, and parents should, as he say, says, create an atmosphere favor, favorable to the growth of chastity so that true liberty may prevail over license and the norms of the moral law may be fully safeguarded. This is, again, recognizing as we talked about last week, it, it, uh, the idea of self-discipline. It's good for people to promote the idea of self-discipline because when our rational faculties, when our mind and our will uh, have control or reign over our merely or purely physical desires, then we are in right relationship because then the brain and the mind is, is in charge and we're not merely animalistic, you know, beings. We are a a combination of both mind and body. And so this is an idea of, again, true liberty is not just the freedom to do whatever you want because I feel I want this and it's going to satisfy this desire, but it is to actually have a rational approach to it and, and again, to follow the moral law. And so in this, to that point, the Holy Father encourages, he says, look, governments and, and uh, teachers should promote, uh, should actually not promote, but they should curtail social communication, which arouses our baser passions, as he says, and, and encourage low moral standards, as well as every obscenity in the written word and every form of indecency on the stage and screen. These things should be condemned because what they do is they merely arouse our our base passions and uh, kind of create a situation where our animalistic instincts are going to overpower our reason and our will. Yeah, exactly. And he also talks about the dangers when when we don't do that, particularly people who have a responsibility for the public good. Um, in the next paragraph, he, he appeals to public authorities. He says, to you, most of all, is committed the responsibility of safeguarding the common good, safeguarding the common good. He goes, we beg you, never allow the morals of your peoples to be undermined. Yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, the mm-hmm. family is the primary unit of in the state. Do not tolerate any legislation which would introduce into the family those practices which are opposed to the natural law of God. I mean, that's fail, complete fail on that one. Uh, right. You know, I'm not just talking about the politicians who have sold out their souls for 30 pieces of silver, which many of them have done, um, but also health care providers, teachers. Um, that have just allowed this secular agenda to weave its way into, um, you know, overpowering the, the this uh, beautiful sense of the natural moral law that comes from God. I mean, to the point where, you know, your your daughter will walk into a, you know, um, a doctor's office when she's 13 or 14, you know, for a physical exam. And then, you know, they're asking about birth control. They're asking about all these kinds of things. And the parents are not even there. To be able to to have a discussion with the physician about this with their with their own child, you know. So I mean, it's 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 gotten way out of control and way out of hand. Um, and again, I think Paul VI is trying to make an appeal here. And, and if notice he was interesting. The only time he uses God, when he talks about the natural moral law. You know, again, which mm-hmm. we've said a billion times, is written into our hearts of every single human being. You know, and, and just respecting that. Um, but we've built a tower of Babel in our culture now, 
um, over, yep. over and against the law of God. And, and, uh, and so what are we seeing now? You know, uh, what people thought, well, we have to do this because of overpopulation. Now we're seeing underpopulation, you know, uh, right. we're seeing underpopulation where, where, uh, um, you know, there's gonna not enough people to replace the people who are dying and and retiring, and 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 if we don't fix this, we're gonna see economies of entire countries start to fail because of this, and all the other things that we've already talked about as a result. Um, and, and somebody's these gonna fall squarely on the shoulder because these people have to stand before God, so they're gonna have to make right. an account before God of the the gifts that they were given, especially if they knew the truth and chose not to teach that truth because they felt. Um, under political pressure, or whatever, and uh, or whatever motivation to, you know, to, to win the next election, whatever it is, you know, it has sold their soul. So um, they're going to be held accountable for that. And it's just, it's a sad state of affairs when you look at this incredible document and everything that we could have been as a country in a world if we would just follow the wisdom of Christ. Yeah, this is a situation where instead of actually promoting the common good, what politicians have decided to do, and by the common good, we mean, as, as it says, you know, the family is the primary unit in the state. So what has happened in our society? We've redefined the family, yeah. you know, and we just said, well, any form of relationship is uh, a family relationship and therefore uh, whatever, whatever goes, goes. And that's, this is actually in the next kind of little section here of 23, Pope St. Paul writes, no statement of the problem and no solution to it is acceptable, which does violence to man's essential dignity. Those who propose such solutions base them on an utterly materialistic conception of man himself and his life. So that's ultimately what this is, is it's we're going to reduce this to economic considerations. We're going to reduce this to what pleasures me. Um, and as long as that is happening, then I don't care about the eternal ramifications, which goes back to what you said. Each person who makes these decisions, especially if you have responsibility for the common good as a lawmaker or as a, a counselor in some way, you're ultimately going to have to answer for that. And this is as much a warning and an invitation to uphold the actual truth as it is a, um, a prediction. Yeah, and I think a, a, a real practical example of this, you know, all of us who are parents obviously want our children, if they don't have a vocation to the priesthood of religious life, um, you know, want them to have good, strong, healthy marriages, you know, and, 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 and to save their bodies, which are temples of God's Holy Spirit, to save it for their future spouse, you know, so they, they don't treat each other as objects and they're having these kind of beautiful discussions and they're living out the reality of humanity vitae. Um, which again, if people say, well, that's impossible in this day and age. Well, no, it's not. Cause we just said last time because of the power of God's grace and the cooperation right. with that grace, uh, we can do and should do what God is calling us to do. But imagine, you know, um, I'm teaching this to my children and say, well, you know, um, that's the, this is the ideal, but you know what? That's not just realistic for you. You know, you're probably going to have sex anyway. Just, you know, uh, here's a, tell my son, here's a bunch of comps. Just don't get her pregnant. Who would do that, you know, or, or give your uh, your daughter contraception? Who would do that, you know? But that's exactly what's happening today. We've just completely caved and capitulated to the culture of political correctness and the culture of, you know, moral relativism and this radical individualism where my rights and my feelings go over and against what's—I well, don't care what's best for everyone. I care— 
about what's best for me. And, you know, we really have to work hard as a church. And as and, and I think that's, again, re, kind of reignite this in the family to to bring a change to this kind of thinking. Um, and so the more we incorporate documents like this into our, our life every day and into our and starting with our families, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then and then moving out into the wider culture. That's why I'm so glad to hear the work of the Notre Dame Center for uh, Ethics and Culture you know, creating a, a, a new generation of thinkers, uh, uh, connecting the heart, the mind, the soul um, to be whole and complete persons that are just going to go out there and, and help to influence wor- the world and make uh, and, and start to to change this this really de- uh, corrupt and depraved direction that we've been moving in for so long as a culture. Yeah, it's it does require the uh, the lived experience of the family. And it does require also academic reflection and, you know, and the, the application of all of our, of the arts of, of uh, humankind. So for example, I mean, the Holy Father goes on to say in this next paragraph, 24, he addresses this paragraph to scientists and he says, look, it's supremely desirable. And he says, and this was also the mind of Pius Twelfth that medical science should, by the study of natural rhythms, succeed in determining a sufficiently secure basis for the chaste limitation of offspring. So again, the Holy Father is saying, we believe in the art of science and in your ability to to discern what is built into the body, to discern what is built into the natural law, so that this is not a violation of God's law. This is not a violation of our of how we are created, but we want you to, to actually use your highest art in determining what is there and therefore what is acceptable because God built this into us. And so he goes on to say, there's no contradiction between two divine laws, that which governs the transmitting of life and that which governs the fostering of married, married love. So this is again, bringing back into attention the fact that unitive and procreative are uh, part of this um, principle of totality. Again, the Pius Twelfth first mentioned in 1953. The principle of totality um, says that there is no contradiction between procreation and unitive uh, nature and human sexuality, and scientists can help us um, find where in the in the our creation and in our natural in our natural uh, design. God has built this into our into us. Yeah, there's also no division between faith and science. You know, because right. sometimes the church gets accused of uh, you know uh, faith over science. You know, for example, I mean, what the Pope is talking about here for scientists are um, developing technologies that will enhance what God is trying to do in a natural law. So, for example, glasses. You know, the development right. of glasses or contacts, because mm-hmm. seeing is a good thing. And, 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 and when we get older, you know, our eyesight starts to diminish. And so we develop technologies that help us to uh, uh, be able to see better. You see, mm-hmm. that's working with the natural mm-hmm. or Viagra. You know, I mean, that's a that's a, that's yeah. a good thing because it helps restoring to, a natural function. restoring a natural function that helps us to continue to do what the, the pope has been saying here, uh, as opposed to using technologies that obfuscate that process or or, um, you know, lowers uh, 
that other person in your mind, it turns them into an object. So contraceptive technologies and things like that. So that's where talk. So we're not the church is not opposed to science, but using science where it benefits all of us, that you know, the, the common good, and not doing things that that will diminish the image and likeness of God in the other person. That that's the key, I think. Yeah, and this is, uh, I mean, so it's the this area that inspired people like, and I know we've talked about him before, uh, Dr. Thomas Hilgers, uh, to actually uh, kind of take in um, to heart as a scientist, as a medical doctor, he read this and he said, well, we can come up with uh, a way that we can fulfill what Pope Paul is saying here. As a scientist, I can look and we can study deeply the um, the human uh, sexual rhythms and not just rhythms, but also uh, what we now call the symptothermal method gets developed. So it's a it's kind of viewing the entire human body, uh, especially the the female body, uh, in terms of when ovulation happens. So again, this is as as the Pope says, a secure basis for the chaste limitation of offspring. So it's not artificial, it's fully natural. And this is uh, something that I, I know we're going to get a chance to talk about. We're going to bring in our, our friend uh, Susie Younger, friend of the show, uh, to kind of talk a bit about this. Hopefully in the next few weeks, we're going to be able to get her into the studio here to kind of unpack what this, uh, what the scientific basis for uh, natural family planning is. Uh, and so I think that that's going to be a wonderful opportunity to explore uh, how this particular paragraph of Humanae Vitae has been brought into, uh, has been brought into application in our world in a very effective manner. Yeah. And I think also the next paragraph as well, the next section on Christian couples, I think she can, Susie can help us uh, kind of bridge the gap between you yeah. know, the, the scientific part and then how do we bring that into the family and live that out every day, uh, which we've Absolutely. alluded to, but it's going to be great to have an expert come in and, and, and again, and a woman to bring both that, that feminine and, uh, and, and, um, and from an NFP practitioner and teacher, that practical aspect into things as well. So I love yeah. that. Looking forward to having her back. Absolutely. Well, Deacon, as you know, as is our custom, we've had uh, some good conversation and we've come to the end of our time together for this week. Uh, it goes by so quick. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Oh, my. My, my, my. You're right. Well, uh, folks, if you'd like to, to uh, download and listen to some previous episodes, especially earlier ones in this particular series, uh, you can go to uh, com and just click on Living Stones there under the programs. Uh, you can also go to our website at livingstonesmedia.org. And then if you're on Facebook, you can find us and uh, and connect with us. Just type in Living Stones into the old Facebook search tool. And we're also on Twitter at Catholic Stones. But uh, we will be back next week and we'll pick up the conversation with uh, paragraph 25 of Humanae Vitae. But until then, Deacon, might we, uh, might we have a blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and your families, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.